Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Fins Up Podcast. I'm your host, Southo Dan. Unfortunately, tonight, Terry won't be with us. He had he had something a little bit more important come up, but uh, we'll get into that a bit later. But I'm excited tonight because we have a genuine guest on, not these, not these Boeings we've had the last few weeks. Uh, this bloke has done literally everything, so... If you if you want to check his accomplishments, I've got them written down. I'll put them on Twitter soon. But the great Matthew Elliott has agreed to join me tonight. Mate, how are you going? Thanks so much for joining us on short notice. Mate, Dan, it's welcome, mate. Looking forward to uh, being drilled here by you. Oh, absolutely, mate. You should see these hard-hitting questions Twitter have hit us with. It's ridiculous. Ready. Mate, before before we get into the serious stuff, I, I just want to ask, because I've seen you, you're very active on social media and some good stuff's come through. Um, what have you been doing since your last coaching gig? Uh, Dan, I, I mean, I've done, I've obviously work in the media with the ABC and done some stuff with Fox, but I've started a wellbeing business called The Change Room, and uh, we work with predominantly uh, injured workers and workers' compensation, but we also do a lot of corporate work. And I've um, using guys like Anthony Minicello, um, Mark Hughes, which obviously we've heard a bit of about this week. He's um, been great. Andrew Ryan helps out, and and Paul Harrigan as well, as well as some other really other high level people like a guy called Nam Baldwin, who coached the Roosters, the Blues, and Richmond last year. He's a breathing coach and um, pretty outstanding guy. And, yeah, some other you know, authors and things like that. So we do that. We run a wellbeing program based around a high-performance formula, and uh, we're getting pretty outstanding results based on the contribution of those unbelievable people. We, I'll shut up and tick down, but we know when footy players do bad things, it's pretty powerful, isn't it? Absolutely. Well, let me tell you, when they do good things, it has the equal amount of power. Well, I've seen people... You know, I can't tell you how many times the last... You know, three years, people have come up to me and said, mate, the program saved my life. So it's pretty humbling when you see that sort of stuff. Mate, that's incredible to hear. I um, I write part-time, and I've got to say that whenever I put something positive up, it does half the hits of the negative stuff, and it really should be the other way. Yeah. Yeah, but that's the reality of life. I'm not, I'm not here to solve that, but you know, when I see people like you know, Minnie's way of, you know, way, talk, way of eating... I had autoimmune disease. That's why I got Anthony was the first person I recruited into the program. I don't have it anymore um, by following it, you know, the the way of eating that he suggested. Well, I've seen people, not lots of people, lose over forty, you know, over forty kilos. Just come in on a walking stick and see him a month later, walking in without a walking stick, and you know he's. We'd have over fifteen cases where he's reverse type two diabetes as well. So, you know. Just that alone, you know, that alone, I could give you, I'd be sitting here and give you examples all night, but, you know, that beard of yours would be down to your, <laughs> down to your, down to your breasts. Oh, mate, well, thank you for noticing. It's good to see. It's a, it's a laziness beard, but I love how it's shaping up. Mate, where, where can we find you on social media? Because that, um, that's something that I'm sure a lot of the listeners would, would like to follow through on. Yeah, I guess the, the main social media is if you go to the change room, and that's on Instagram, it's on Facebook, it's also on LinkedIn, um, and our the our website is www.thechangeroom.info. So come along there and have a look. Um, we're just about to actually release a program for individuals. We got 
so much to the Amber Victor and Fred webinar, Dan, and um, it just because many and I and some of the other mentors felt like geeking out and doing a free mentor during COVID, but we've we've just got bowled over with so much demand for um, you know, access to our program that we'll have a, an online program that people can subscribe to in the very near future. That's incredible, mate. I'll chuck that in after. Well, let's talk some footy, mate. I'm going to hit you with the hard question first. Steve Kearney got sacked during the week. Uh, I thought it was yeah. a little harsh. Um, you know better than most. Um, do you find the sack the coach approach is too easy a fix? Well, you know, it, look, first thing, what you do know, Dan, is when you sign on a dotted line, and it's got head coach at the top, you know that the, the level of scrutiny and the consequences is going to be massive, right? That's what you know. It's it's not really a high-pressure job because you know it going in. So, like, it's honestly, that's part of the, the terrain. I think um, you've got to look at each circumstance individually. And if you look at the Warriors, you know, with and I can say, look, I've got to stick my hand up and say my coaching at the Warriors probably wasn't at its best. I can say that wasn't at its worst, but it wasn't at its best. But the common denominator of the Warriors not being successful isn't the coach, all right, because it's not really varied that much around the coaching. It's the organisation and the culture around the organisation needs to be addressed. There is so much talent in New Zealand, mate. It is mind-blowing. It is absolutely mind-blowing. And I used to say, look, we've got to get this club going to a level where they just have to put another club in the NRL because they're going to be sick of giving us being in the top four the whole time. That still exists. But within the organisation, they need to change. There's an organisation full of great people. Absolutely. When I was there, and I know the management's changed, but it's, it's an, organ, an organisation full of genuinely really good people. But what you've got to do in there is just that you've got to move it from um, being family-like to winning. So, yeah, they, they want to create a family environment as a work environment. I personally don't think that's effective because, you know, Uncle Pete that comes to the Christmas party, party and gets pissed in the corner and we still love him but we have to put up with his antics, that's family, <laughs> all right? That's not elite sport. And um, the Warriors need to come up with, a, with that elite approach to what they do. And then when they do, look out, look out NRL because, yeah, they, it's but they're not going to turn this around. If they're looking for a coach to come in and turn it around in uh, two years, ain't going to happen. It's not going to happen. They're going to have to, they're always going to be a development club, not a recruitment club. You know, they're, they're not going to get be able to recruit the best players from Australia because the best players from Australia want to live in Australia. But they have got, they don't need to. Have a look at the amount of you know, players that come from New Zealand that are playing in the NRL now and have a look how good they are. So your answer's there. It's right in front of them. They just need to tap into it, mate. I couldn't agree more. I've written so much stuff about the Warriors. It frustrates me that they're not one of the powerhouses. They've got so many, so many um, positives. Um, mate, I'll, I'll ask my questions and I'll jump to Twitter because some of these are I'm, you know, really jealous. They've done more work than me. Mate, at the moment, this being a Sharks podcast, what do you make of the current Sharks setup? Yeah, good question, Dan. Um, what do I make of their setup? There's all, look, a couple of things that you need to recognise is that they've lost some really experienced players that played a major part 
not just in the performance on the field, but how the players were off the field. So that'll that'll impact the way they train. It'll impact the way they socialise. It'll impact also what they do on the park. So you can't ignore that. It's not too many organisations that lose players like Gallen and Luke Lewis and you know, players of that esteem and continue to you know, have you know, go on without a bump in the, in the road. So they've lost some players. But I, I think the other thing they've lost is part of their reputation as being a tough, gritty team. They just don't look that way at the moment. So I don't know whether that's got anything to do with their preparation or the people they've got in their team. But, yeah, they've got talent. But what modern footy's showing us at the moment is talent's handy, but you need to be able to do the tough stuff first. Teams not doing tough stuff aren't in the top eight. Absolutely. I'll ask you another one later on, something about that. Um, this is a popular question that I actually had on my list. During your time as a coach, what was your favourite away trip and why was it Shark Park? <laughs> you know what? I've got a sad story about Shark Park. Shark Park was my last venue as a head coach. There you go. I got the oh, sack from the Warriors. I got the Steve Kearney <laughs> after we got by the, um, the Sharks. Shark Park's a good venue. It is a good venue. I love it. I lived in the Shire for a while, so, you know, it, it is a good venue. Um it's funny. I mean, I'm, of course, I'm a dragon. From my background, I always, I've always got a soft spot for your new home ground, um, <laughs> you know, uh, Jubilee. But, um, mate, I just <laughs> love footy grounds. Mate, you can take me down to the park and watch, you know, I'll watch under-14s play. I don't care, mate. So, um, Lang Park's hard to go past old days and new, new days. And I've got to say... Yeah, the new Bankwest Stadium's pretty cool too, but that's you know the first game I even went to Bankwest was the Newtown Grand Final win, and I can't go back because I can't. I'll never top that. Just can't be done. That was a good trip. Um, uh, you coached in England, mate. I I know the play over there is very good. The fans are passionate, but it's still seen as second place. Any truth to that, or do you feel that's a bit unfair? No, there's truth to that for sure. Um. I guess I, I, I coached over there. We were quite lucky in an era that we were allowed um, three overseas players and the pound was three to a dollar. So quite often before I was there, you got, you're getting players that were exiting out of the NRL and now not too many good players going over there that are high-level NRL players, are they? It's true. Um, actually, the opposite's happening. Happening. Um, is that we're getting, you know, we're getting, you know, the best UK players coming to Australia now. But when I coached there, you know, it was, you know, you were offering guys, you could offer guys what was Bitcoin. So the, the competition was pretty strong. I would say stronger than, it, comparatively strong, what I mean, in that, that the teams were, they weren't miles behind the NRL. But you got to understand that, you know, in, on the Eastern Seaboard in particular, the first sport and the best, most of the best kids, that's it's starting to evolve, play rugby league. You know, that's the first sport they're, they're, they're exposed to. That's not the process in the UK, even in the north of England. You know, guys still, soccer's the first sport you're, you're kind of, most people are exposed to. So you don't, you're not always getting the highest level athlete, but I can tell you there's a lot of good players over there and, 
you know, I, I'm really excited to see them coming into the competition at a more frequent basis. I tip my hat to uh, to the Raiders in particular for getting you know getting some of the best players in the world to come over here out of that competition. Well, I... So I'd say this one. Oh, sorry, Dan. Yeah, long-winded yeah. answer is that they've got players that are definitely NRL standard. They just don't have as many. I was in England like 10 years ago, or even more now, um, and I wanted to watch Wigan play because I'm a Wigan fan, and I asked the guys at the bar what channel it was on, and they laughed at me. I had to go on my computer, log into my Foxtel back home in Australia, and find a stream to watch a game that was 200k up the road. I, I couldn't believe it. Like, just so different over there. Um, mate, uh, a, couple of, a couple of questions here. These have these are come from Terry. Um, he wanted me to ask straight up, did you have anything to do with letting Wade Graham come to the Sharks? And if so, thank you. Oh, mate, like if you're trying to piss me off, you've done a good job. It was in a stage, I, I spent a lot of time in conflict with the, uh, the Panthers uh, management, to be honest with you. And, um, it was a, Look, I love the players. The tenure was good. Mate, we didn't even make Wade Graham an offer. I found out that after. Um Wade, Wade had all the stickers on him as a young guy that he was going to be not only an exceptional player, he was playing in the halves coming through, but he was going to be an exceptional leader. So looking what Wade's achieved, am I surprised? No. Was I pissed off at the time that um, we didn't hang on to it because it wouldn't have been difficult? I was fuming. I definitely. I'm glad he ended up at Cronulla, to be honest. It's been... One of our best ever. Um, another one from Terry. Uh, any one player that you dreaded taking away on away trips? <laughs> oh, I can't. I can't give too much away on that one. I like my um, my Bradford Bulls team was probably pretty wild. I got some pretty wild stories about them. But you know, one of my favourite players I ever coached was Jason Croker, and um, I always remember coming back on the bus. For, you know, back towards Canberra, he'd just start screaming from the back of the bus, King Brown, coach, King Brown. He always wanted to stop and let let let, and let me have the, the players drink their, their tallies, which he called King Brown. So, <laughs> so um, nah, mate. Yeah, I, I was so I've been so fortunate. I didn't didn't have too many disciplinary issues with the, the teams I coached and. Um, yeah, I got yeah, I got a high opinion of all the players. Some of them pretty crazy, but all good. It's <laughs> well answered, mate. Um, another one from Terry. Was there any one player you desperately tried to sign and just couldn't get over the line? Yeah, I had a crack of. I tell you what, I had Cameron Smith in my car. His dad was our um, development officer because um, we had a we had a, the Raiders at the time had a club in Logan, and they still do, and his dad was our recruitment officer there, and I remember Cameron was playing for Norse in the, um, and this will tell you a little bit about the quality of the human, but I remember I was trying to sign him as a, a half, and I think we ended up signing Brad Drew as a halfback that year, who was at, came, you know, was obviously a hooker, so I, um, yeah, but, you know, to his credit, because you know, North... Um, Norse in Brisbane at that time were uh, uh, a feeder club to the Melbourne Storm and he said look the Storm have been really good to me I really you know, appreciate 
you know, the opportunity to come to the Raiders, and I know my dad's working for you and all that sort of stuff, but I got, I'm going to stick with the, the Storm. My dad. Jeez. That's a near me. Dad, that's incredible. I was expecting a middle of the range player. That's, that's career changing. Mate, um, most attractive side outside the top eight will lead the Sharks out of this. Most attractive side? Yeah, most attractive squad. Who, who do you think should be in the eight? Who's not? I think the top eight's pretty well delineated at the moment. If you asked me that last week, not last weekend, but the weekend before, I would have said I, I, I see South in the top eight. Well, they're there. Yeah. No, I, I don't. I don't really see too much moving around, bud. Sorry to Cronulla supporters, but uh, I don't see anyone shooting up the table. West Tigers, they'll finish ninth. <laughs> just to, just for consistency. Every year, I love it. We always try and sneak a ninth joke in there. So thank you, mate. That um. Hey, um, okay, so this one, like you, you were lucky in a sense that Twitter wasn't real big when, when you were at the, at the helm, but um, what do you make of two guys on social media, possibly also doing a podcast, telling you how to coach each week? Is, is that something I'd, I'd assume you'd, uh, you'd appreciate? Huh. Um, you know what, I'll tell you, tell you the truth, Dan, I, I learned the hard way dealing with the media. Uh, there wasn't a lot of social media around at the beginning of my coaching career. Um, but I had a few run-ins with uh, the media in particular about being dishonest. And, um, but, you know, uh, that didn't work. So going at the media with uh, with my fangs out didn't work because they just absolutely hammered me for a good 18 months when I was at the Raiders. So uh, what, I, what I sat down and worked out is that's how they feed their kids. And... But I get paid to be nice, and as we've already discussed, controver- controversies what makes people buy their papers or whatever, however you purchase it now. So I just stopped. I don't read papers. So the last paper I read, I, that's a fib. So when I work at the ABC on the weekend, um, my colleague Andrew Moore will always have his papers there, and I'll look at any footy stories. I'll look at the headline, and that's about it. But I, I'm not... So I'm not really invested in it. I'm on social media because I've got daughters and you know, that's how we communicate these days. And But yeah, mate, I don't really pay too much attention to it. Mate, that's, that's a good answer. I like to think that uh, someone in the club listens to our podcast and, you know, changes oh, the mate. game plan accordingly. But... Oh, mate, no, this will be completely different now. <laughs> Absolutely. Your, right. repu- your reputation is completely different. I'll be playing this at the review session. Mate, thanks. <laughs> that's fantastic. Mate, this one's come from Vossi, all-time greatest spray. What? From uh, me? Yeah, from you. I, I can't remember. I remember you being a little bit animated, but I can't remember a, a moment where I thought, oh, jeez. No, I'm not, never really used to lose it too much, but there, there's a story that my players in England and Mick Potter raised that we, I interviewed him on. And he, Mick was working with me when I was coaching the Bulls. He was on, on my staff there. And he told, he reminded me of a story. We were, you know, playing a Challenge Cup match against Oldham at a football stadium, and I went nuts at half time because we oh, we were in front, but we were playing a second division team, so they were two divisions down from us, and I lost completely, lost it at half time, and I sprayed every player one by one, completely berserk, and I went to do the big exit and slam the door. Off the yeah, off the hinges, with the hope that I'd actually break the door, and I tried and I slammed it 
as hard as I can, but it was one of those air pressure doors that went. Lack the impact. Clunk. That's about how it closed. And I got outside the door, and I, I swear, I'm, I went. I'm not finishing on that. And I went, went to go back in. I burst the door open again, and the whole playing squad and the coach and staff were just pissing themselves <laughs> laughing. So I had to exit out slowly. But yeah, that, that's probably my. That's the the Matt Elliott spray. Get laughed at. <laughs> it's very unfortunate. Hey, um, I had about 15 people ask about the the press conference with the tie. Um, it's been immortalised by bad NRL drawings. I saw you retweet that. Um, that that's the greatest memory of all time, surely. Uh, not really. It's such <laughs> a funny moment, Dan, because it was. I ended up signing the two days later for another two years, but obviously the club was in a pretty bad spot at the time, and um, yeah, we we're in a rebuilding phase. But I, I'd already told the board of directors, like, like we, this is going to take some time. This is not something that's going to... So I told them at the beginning of the year, we've also got to get rid of some of your star players that you know that were part of getting you a grand final. It's going to be tough. It's going to be a tough period. So anyway, I remember the press conference and I knew all the speculation. So normally the, the coach and the captain went in afterwards and I, we're walking in I said, oh, Pat, mate, don't come to this one. Just, I'll I'll handle this one, mate. You know, you, we know exactly what's going to happen here, so let me handle it. And I sat there and I sat down in the press conference, and normally you wait for questions, right? Well, I sat there for two, maybe three minutes, and no one asked a question. It was dead silent. Crickets. Just sat there and sat there. I just waited and waited. So I did that. I pulled the tie up there just to break the ice. Come on, come on, boys. It's, you know, ask away and so everyone cracked up laughing but uh but they got me with my, my, my tie up so that's about how long i did it for too by the way bastards mate parasites that that media but that's, that's, oh, no. no you can't can't dodge that one bud no i gotta got have some fun with it mate i like it i i gotta admit i'm one of these blokes that likes the characters wayne bennett bores the hell out of me you know josh uh, morris is the same you can bag Flanagan all you want, but it's one thing he never took was any crap from the media. I love, I love that. That's fine. Um, mate. Yeah, you've got to find an approach to it. Absolutely. I you know, I, I don't know how I'd, I'd cope. You guys put up way more pressure than I can. Um, young coaches, there seem to be a fair few coming through. Do you find people get tarred too early? Like you had, I can't remember his name offhand, which is real bad, uh, the former Titans coach that was sacked. I think it's pretty fair to say their roster's, you know, it's borderline rubbish and no one can really expect him to come in and make the eight with that. Do you think they get tarred early and that sort of ruins them or do you think you wait around for a Newcastle sort of situation where they've got the team, you come in, you give them the boost? What would you recommend for young coaches? Yeah, look, it's the, what we need to understand is, is that, you know, the level of scrutiny is not going to go down. The level of scrutiny is going to go up. So... Everyone talks about the pressure to bring a coach. It's just the biggest load of crap you've ever heard. Honestly, it's the best job in the world. I used to go to work every day with 30 young men that wanted to get better. Who does that for a job? It's true. No one gets to do that. In a sport that I loved, I used to geek out and you know, get to do all strategies. So that's rubbish. But the level of scrutiny, 
no one has a, a job that there's not one shit part to it, right? You know, even if you've got a great job, there's always bits of it you go, oh, geez, here we go, we've got to do this bit. It's no different. So it's just, there's just more scrutiny. That's the difference. Young coaches, I think there's some good young coaches coming through at the moment. This is a really exciting time. I guess organisations have to make decisions. Too often, I believe, it's based around the coach. Like I just, I talked about um, you know, the, the, what we do know is that, for example, the Warriors, the coaches and the common denominator, you need to look at what else is going on. But you've also got to, you sign up, and when you sign up, there's some, there's some agreed, you know, standards that, you, you, that you're going to keep. And performance levels that you you say you're going to deliver, um, and you got a time frame to do that. And more often than not, that time frame is written on a contract. More often than not, if that time frame is if you're going past expectations, the contract doesn't last because you sign an extension. If you're going under expectations, the contract doesn't last because they're going to get rid of you. Part of life, you know, and. You know, you could look at it as being a threat or you could look at it as being exciting and, you know, there's opportunities there as well to, to excel. So it's just part of the deal. If you don't like it, don't, don't be an NRL coach. Easy. Mate, fair call. I love it. Um, the, salary cap, the salary cap, mate, is the thing that I have the most difficulty understanding. Every year you get, you get these things, like the Sharks almost lost their premiership because they supposedly cheated the cap before and after. But not the year. It's very important for people listening. They didn't cheat 2016. How difficult is the salary cap to manage? And do you have a big say over it, or does that come from above? Uh, the coach has got to be involved in it, otherwise he's not the coach. So you need to work out you know, the formula and how you're going to balance your salary cap and you know, how you're going to manage your squad moving forward. Um, and the application of it, I believe, has improved dramatically particularly over the last three years, three or four years. And I believe under the leadership of Volandis, it'll continue to improve. Um, before that, there was, you know, the third party and all the other stuff that was available. You, look, you can't sneak money around anymore. You know what I mean? You can't, you just don't, you can't do it in modern life. So, you know, all the stuff that may have happened in the past doesn't happen anymore. Anyone who thinks that, you know, clubs are being shady or dodgy, oh, I don't I don't really see that happening that much at all. And how do you do it? I don't know, through Bitcoin or something. Is that what you do? Give them that. <laughs> I, I haven't got a clue, mate, but there's I don't see the rule. I don't see it as being a I'll rephrase it, Dan. Do I think that um, there's salary cap and team's application of that salary cap is making a difference to the competition ladder, my thoughts are no. I think more than ever, particularly in the last two years, coaching is. Yeah, absolutely. I, mate, I couldn't agree more. I honestly think, you know, you bring a coach in and with the right philosophy, I mean, you've seen what's happening at Newcastle. That's practically the same side as, as Nathan Brown had. And they're, and they're flying. They're looking, you know, arguably premiership favourites at the moment. Um, which someone asked, actually asked me, Hull Kiwi actually asked if there was any truth to the rumour you had the Knights job to replace Michael Hagen at any stage. That is true, yep. Mate, and he, so, he asked why I, didn't you I, take it? I can, I can tell you that, yeah. Um, I was pretty fortunate that 
coming out of the Raiders, I had a few options. And um, the Knights was my first. And I agreed to take the job because they offered it to me. And then the chairman at the time rang me a day after they'd offered me and said, oh, we just... Uh, and then I found out that they were talking to Tim Sheens, who was away coaching the, uh, the Kangaroos at the time. Um, so they came back and said, yeah, yeah look, we're going to give you the job. And I, I'd found out about that in the meantime. I went, oh, it's probably not a good sign for me to go. You know, I, was, you know, I loved the Raiders, and I probably should have never left you know, until they told me to get out of town. But, yeah, I wasn't going to leave that organisation to go to somewhere with that, where they had that sort of conduct. So, yeah, it's true. Mate, absolutely. Here's a scoop. I, um, I had five or six people ask a, a generalisation of this question. Uh, is there any chance you'll look at returning to coaching? And I had a couple of people ask if you can come coach the Sharks. That's always short. Yeah, I'd love to coach, but I'd love to play as well, Dan, and that's probably not going to happen. Okay, so there's some realities in life that, you know, look, I know that as a coach in many ways, now I'd be far better, far better because of what I've experienced. You know, I went through my little, um, you know, challenges for a while at the back end of the Roosters and not at, at the Warriors, and um, so. That, but that's the reality of it is, is that so I, what I've learned the last five years out of coaching, six years out of coaching, would be highly valuable. But what I'd need to do is I'd need, I've got so much respect for what coaches do. You know, they're, they're using cutting-edge science. The game is, doesn't evolve per year. It's evolving per game at the moment. You know, the, so... The reality of it is, uh, is that I think I could contribute to a footy club in different ways, but don't tell anyone this out loud. This is not going to thousands of people. So, mate, the truth is, is that I'd have to, you know, reacquaint myself with the strategy and the implementation of strategy at the highest level, you know, rather than sitting in a commentary box and making assumptions about it. It's, you know, it would imagine being out of any high-level occupation for that long and then going back in and thinking you're just going to be sweet. I'd like to be in denial and say, yeah, give me the, the shark's job, I'll sort you out, but I, I, I don't lie anymore. I used to lie all the time, but I don't do it anymore. <laughs> well, uh, while we're lying, uh, this is going to tens of thousands of people, so... Yeah, absolutely. Hey, um, Matt, Matt asked, what was work, working with Gus Gould like? Um, look, Gus is a highly, highly intelligent guy. He knows the game and has a clear way of how he believes organisations need to be run. I already, what a lot of people tend to forget is I'd already agreed to leave the Panthers before Gus came. So I've been there for five years. And it had been a pretty, um, a pretty not tumultuous, but my relationship with the board there, because uh, you know I, I like transparency, and that really didn't exist. So yeah, I, I had no issue with Gus at all, no. And our conversations were always, you know, at the highest level, amicable, and I've got still got no issue. You know, I, I see Gus in media boxes. There's no problem with it at all. So. Everyone thinks he fired me. That that wasn't the case. 
What um what did you make of the five year plan? It's become fodder for a lot of social media jokes. Did you find it put pressure on, or it set a a realistic timeline? You know what? What no one recognises. You know, and I, I'd love to be able to slag Gus off because you know, he did come in and say, "Mate, look, you're not going to be here, for, you know, next year, so he might as well you know, give Steve George Ellis an opportunity." And I went, "Yes, yeah, sweet." He said, "Go on a paid holiday." Yeah, you can slag, you know, but. Look, if I don't know what people recognise is the resources and the infrastructure and the and the professional structure that he brought into that organisation, mate. Their, their training facilities now, the way that they they operate, their interaction with the community now, and the expectations of the organisation around that take a bow. And you know, people talk about the five year plan because we look at the team's performance on the park. And I would certainly question, you know, some things that, that have gone on in the park. But, uh, mate, that, what I would, I wish I was, I wish I was there, you know, in that tenure and had that that that, that approach, because yeah, they, they they've got, you know, they they've developed an organisation that can really develop talent now. And we didn't do it then, as much as I that's you know I believe in and set up. You know, a, pro- a program to do that, but we didn't have the, the resources or the facilities. Mate, absolutely. Won't keep you too much longer, just a couple more. Um, Matador asked, um, if you came to the Sharks, would you find it difficult to move on the big money players? I think we can agree a c- couple are getting paid a little bit more than they should, given their importance to the team. And do you find that boards are, are supportive in that or they, they want to keep the big money players? Yeah. I'm always someone that's like, look, you you get paid money for how you played, okay? Not how you're playing. So ultimately what you should do is you got to pick your best team every week. Your best team is always going to be people that are leaving nothing out on the field. Yeah, and at the moment, that's not the, the observation of what's going on there. For the, and this is a you know this is an organisation, a club for a long time. Is what you did know, is that if you're playing the Sharks, you're in for a shit fight, regardless. You know that that and that's what got them to grand final, and that's what kept them up there for for a fair while. So that grittiness is exited, and I would say that you know that there's some really highly talented players there, but. I don't know how to say it. They just don't play tough enough. And what's happened with the adaptation of the of new footy? You don't play tough, you lose. Mate, couldn't you agree more. You can't be a half and bounce around the field and try and create space for someone else. You're a half in modern footy. You got to carry the ball up the line at 100 mile an hour. Be prepared to take a shot like Jonathan Thurston did, and put people into space or take the line on. And that's what the best teams, halves are doing. That's what their fullbacks are doing as well. Mate, absolutely. I, I think fullbacks are the most important role in the game at the moment, and all the best players are fullbacks. Um, you saw the Matty Moylan shot he copped on the weekend. What did you make of that? Ouch. Yeah, it was a, it was a beauty. Now, we, um, we, we made a bit of a joke because we, we bagged Chad a bit because, you know, he's been a bit out of form, and we love Moylan. We've been calling him for the six. Um we we got a theory that Chad threw that hospital pass to get at us, so we got to cop that one. 
Um, Good man, Chad Townsend, by the way, mate. Sorry? Good man. Chad? Uh, Good I've, man. I've actually met him numerous times. He's the greatest bloke in the world. I just um, not the biggest fan of his football, but I uh, will we'll move on. Uh, any takes on the new rules? Love him, and I was dead set. You know, we we well, we did at the ABC. We did um, a show every weekend during the whole COVID experience. Um, and when they came out with the rule changes, I just felt so uncomfortable with it. So you know, I, I certainly am the advocate of the six again. And I think I'd spoken about that in 2004, 2005, um, about that's what I believe should have you know, been brought in as a as a rule. Um, but bringing it in during a season, you know, after rounds have been played, when teams hadn't really had the opportunity to prepare in that way, wasn't a fan. Going from one to two refs at the same time, wasn't a fan. But... I was wrong, and the game, I, I've got to say, the game as a spectacle, like the numbers that players are churning out at the moment, so I'd be interested to get their live ball um, statistics when they come out of how much live ball we're seeing in the game at the moment, but it's great. So again, I'm, I'm a fan of the game, and we've got a guy that's leading our sport at the moment that... You know, he doesn't worry about making calls that's going to make people happy or being a politician. He makes calls that he thinks are best for the game. And I love that. I'm not going to agree with them all, but I love the fact that we've got someone who makes definitive decisions, doesn't fluff around, makes definitive decisions based on what not, you know, not what makes him look good, but what's best for the sport. So good. Absolutely, I love Volandis. When he when he came in, I was like, "Oh, geez, this guy says rugby league funny." But now he's he's a genius. I'm so glad he's led us through through this. The, the old rugby league, mate, you gotta love it. Um, question from Michael. I think he's a Canberra fan. Um, I didn't have time to cross check this quote was correct, so please please jump on him, not me if it's not. Um, during your time in Canberra, he said you probably didn't have the greatest talent, but you had a hard working bunch that worked for each other. Uh, was this true? And if so, did you find it tough to move on players that didn't buy into that? No, I didn't. The, the, the quote is true. Um, and it's, we got picked for the wooden spoon every year that I was there. We made the semis every year. Um, we had a, But the truth was is that we had a hard-working ethos there. We had players that drove it. You know, as a coach, you can drive it for the first year, maybe 18 months. But if you're, if, you know, if you're walking around yelling, I can promise you, Craig Bellamy don't yell and scream at his team all day. It's the players that make each other accountable. We had players like Ruben Wickey, Jason Croker, Alan Tung, you know, Clint Chivoski. And so we built a hard-working uh, environment around those players and we didn't allow anything else. And if someone wasn't training hard, I didn't have to go up and rip into them after the first 12 months. The players did. Um, if someone wasn't having a crack on the field, but I, I was the, probably the last person they'd hear about by the time they got to my office. They would have been hammered by their teammates. So, yeah, we, it was a really, really functional and constructive culture there. Mate, uh, last question in case I, I might think of something real funny towards the end. Who's playing the Sharks in the grand final this year? Who's playing the Sharks? In the grand wow. final, yep. In the grand final. 
Newtown. Newtown, I love it. It's just, mate, it's just as likely as the Sharks make it in grand final. Who Do you think the Roosters can go back to back to back? Yeah, I do. I do. My only issue with the Roosters, and I remember, I can't remember, when did South win the GF? Oh, I was you know, 14-ish, yeah. Yeah, 14, yeah. I remember they came out the following year and they were just, I think they won the first six or seven games. Everyone was talking about them going undefeated, then the wheels fell off. Like, I can't see the wheels falling off of the Roosters, but they are playing. Like, there's got to be improvement between now and the end of the year. God help anyone if they improve too much, <laughs> mate, because, yeah, they, they are playing unbelievable defensive footy, and their attack is equally you know, phenomenal. So watch out when they get better. Have they so, got... A, um... There's some other teams that will do this. We haven't seen the best of some other teams. Now, the adaptation process will take time. There will be some teams that really improve. They have to between now and the end of the year. Do you think Parramatta are the real deal? Yeah, I do. Good. Yeah, we actually tipped them to win the comp, and I was um. So I'm, you know, I don't want to eat crow on that one. I've had to make some bad calls. Mate, Kyle Flanagan. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't I can't get over the fact that Cronulla let him go. I know his dad leaving, etc., etc. But if I'm a coach, I'm I'm signing that kid to a ten year deal and sitting on it. What do you think of the the Sharks letting him go on? Well, in retrospect, the word shocker springs to mind. Um, you know what? But I'll, I'll say this: let's let's work from the individual back. He may have needed a move as well. You know, he, needed, he may have needed a new environment as well, but I certainly feel like he could have been, you know, a better option than what, what you've got there at the moment. Absolutely. We were super frustrated because we saw him come through the 20s and he took Newtown to a grand final in his first year at, at full-blown, like, grown-up football. We were very annoyed. But do the Roosters have something special in the water out there because both Morris boys have gone over and they're about, they're about in their mid-50s now and they're playing like they're 23 again. It's ridiculous. Well, it's a bit like Melbourne. Is is that, and we've all experienced this at some stage, hopefully, in our life, where you walk into a functional environment and to fit in, okay, you don't have people saying, mate, don't, don't work too hard. To fit in, you've got to, you've got to function highly. You know, and we all like to fit in, right? One of the things that we like to do is comply to the environment that we go into. This is not confined to footy players. This is about life. So if you go into a functional environment, whether you're dysfunctional or whether you're someone who's taken shortcuts in the past, you either change or you get changed. And that's what's that's what you're seeing at the Roosters. They've got a highly functional environment that their coaches set up or their coaches have set up and they continue to, to feed, but it's now player-driven. You can see it. It's, the players are central to that. And so because as a coach, if someone mucks up, for example, you're the last to know. Players know first. Yeah, absolutely. So, so um, what you do is if you've got a functional environment like that, it's a shortcut. You know, is that immediately performance stuff is is dealt with straight away. 
behavioural stuff is dealt with straight away. So, yeah, that that's all it is. It's that, that stuff's contagious. You go into a highly functional environment, you change jobs, you go somewhere, and it, the whole performance expectations are at another level, and everyone loves loves those expectations. Not fighting it. Absolutely love being in a high-performance organisation. Just love it. You, you, you got to be that way. Mate, that's you got to get on board. Unfortunately, we hear quite a bit from players who leave Cronulla that they walk into the hardest training they've ever had. So I don't know whether we're partying down in the Shire or whether they're just sinking the boot. Uh, last question for real this time, then I'll let you go. Thanks so much for coming on. Um, the big name players, you know, the uh, the Todd Carneys, the Ben Barbers, etc. Are they more prone to muck up, or are there just more eyes on them? Because I could I could give you one to seventeen of Cronulla players that we thought were going to be superstars. They got turfed out of the club for doing something stupid. You know, you know the birds come to mind. The, you know, the Sullivans, etc. Did you find that happened a lot, or is it just, just a product of the day? No, again, I was pretty lucky disciplinary wise because I made things fairly clear. You know, I made young players understand that you're not a normal part of the community. You don't get to choose whether you're going to be a role model or not. You are. Doesn't think. Doesn't matter if it's wrong or right. Doesn't matter what my opinion of it is, you are. And I used to also to tell them, look, if you can't go out and have a beer and have someone come up to you and tell you that you're useless and, you know, you're the worst player in the world and you end up getting the shits with them and getting in a fight, if you can't deal with that, stay at home. Don't go out. Lock yourself in the backyard and, you know, roll, you know, do jiu-jitsu with your friends. But, you know, so I never really had that problem. But, you know, I've always, you know, there's there's a big delineation in, in, in behavioural issues. You know, like, you, I don't think, I wouldn't mention Ben Barber and Todd Carney in the same sentence. Like, Todd Carney never hurt a soul except himself and the reputation of the game occasionally. So, um, I, yeah, I, I don't know. The behavioural stuff in players at the moment, I just don't, there's two things. One, the message is convoluted. You get a thousand things you can't do. I believe that the NRL should be telling blokes what you can do. You can make, like I just told you at the beginning, what I do know is footy players can make a difference. You know, they can save people's lives. Look what Joel Thompson's doing while still playing, you know, for Indigenous culture and, and awareness around mental health. Look at that. Now that's powerful. So you tell them what they can do. You tell, then you tell them, look, if you stuff up, it doesn't matter whether, how bad it is. It's not, you're not the same. So imagine if the CEO of a company did the TikTok or whatever. It's, was that, is it called TikTok? TikTok, the, I think. Yeah, I had to look that up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if um, no, the CEO of, I don't know, a bank, one of the big banks, did TikTok and they put it on Instagram. What have you heard about it? Never. So you're not a normal part of community. So get over it. And if you sign the deal, you got to sign up to, you know, behaving in a certain way. It's it's so this is not what you can't do, but you need to understand you're not a normal member of community. If you do, and if other people think you are, you're off your head. You're in the wrong sport. Don't sign the contract. Go and do something else. 
Mate, I love That's it. I, I wish that would we could put that in writing and put it in Sharks contracts. Seriously, the amount of times, you know, a couple of weeks ago, young Bronson, superstar in the making, New South Wales certainty, out the door four years. Wow. Not good when my uh, when my son has Bronson across the back of his jersey either, so I'll have to unstitch that when he's not looking. Uh, yeah, yeah, what a shame. You know, what we do know is because I've been one and you're not long past being one. Young men aren't great dig aren't great decision makers but what you can do is give them the right guidance to decrease the severity and the frequency of poor decisions that's what you got to do they're going to make them absolutely (laughs) but you just need to decrease the frequency and the severity by making them understand what they can do and what they've signed up to do and that they're not a normal part of the community Mate, it's well said. It's, you know, reality check. Um, mate, I just got a text from Terry saying he's really sorry he missed it. Do you want to give a shout-out to Terry, who's um, who's probably listening in? Terry, mate, you are dead set like one of those Cronulla players that should be sacked. Okay, that's what I'm saying to you, mate. Yeah. Where are you? The whole premise of this interview was based on your contribution to it, and you've given us crickets. Absolute crickets. And the excuse you've tossed up, like seriously, come on. As a head coach, what you used to say to all lookers, I'll take your excuse. I'll take any excuse I've never heard before. I've heard that one. I've heard his excuse. Rip into him, Dan. Actually, he should pay you a fine. A fine? Yep, I agree. <laughs> what, do that... what are we going to make it? It's like a board meeting. Mate, I, mate, I would say a case of beer, but I'm just spitballing here. Nah, I second that motion. Case of beer, it is. Perfect, Terry. You heard the man. I'll um, <laughs> we'll uh, we'll split it, mate. I'll I'll come see. You. I'll flick you up, mate. Thank you so much for coming on and getting into Terry. That's the highlight of my my podcasting career. Um, is there anything else you want to do before we before we hail Matt Moylan as is uh, tradition? No, mate. You hail Matt Moylan. Good guy. Really good person. So. Uh... How about that ball? Right, how about more? Thanks so much.